Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. There was a guy here um, just over the weekend, I think, uh, got mauled to death. Uh, uh, meeting yeah, with- I fucking saw that what the hell yeah i i only caught wind of it this morning <laughs> like jesus sucks to be that guy i mean well, i mean maybe we don't know what the afterlife is like uh it just um i yeah what a horrible way to go like fucking oath man fighting for your life against two dogs mauling you to death jesus just yes. shows how how savage because you you can't you, you just don't look at dogs as like you don't look at Huxley as a, a you know a descendant of a wolf. You know, the a descendant is, of I, a killing I think, machine. I think some people do though. Like I think you and I have like what is probably the conventional view of dogs, but there are lots of people who would see a dog that looks like Huxley. And for those of you listening, Huxley's a fifty-five kilo Italian mastiff who looks like the sort of dog you would take to a war. Um, and when he barks, sounds like it too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there are a lot of people who would see a dog like that and be super intimidated. Like my last two dogs, you know, combined had a weight of like a hundred, hundred ten kilos. Mm. People used to cross the street to avoid me, like mm. me at a hundred and you know forty at that point, a <laughs> hundred kilos worth of dog. The That's only fun. thing that changed that was when I had a kid and I started carrying a kid in a backpack that really softened that image right up. Yeah. There's, that's a lot of meat and hair and beard coming towards you. Yeah. And I've also got, you know, dark glasses and maybe I've got headphones on or whatever. So yeah. (laughs) Oh, understandable. Mm. There you go. Anyway, on a, on a, a lighter note, you should probably go and check out our good friends at Prism Coffee Co and get a platinum package of their goods. I was just desperately searching for Sam's coffee time at Sam's coffee time. Follow it. Yes. If, Sam, you, want, if you want peak speak media coffee team. porn. Yeah. Our media team, Sam has got himself a new uh, coffee machine, which is the same one I've recently got my hands on too. And I suspect much like I am, he is probably churning through a lot more coffee than he would, would otherwise. Cause having a really nice machine just makes making coffee really enjoyable. Sam was saying he was tasting the Los Portrillos. Yes. Uh, which is an El Salvadorian honey processed rich chocolate and whiny fruit acidity. I really like that one. I've uh, been enjoying it as well uh, and is well worth checking out. Use the code PIGSPEAK. Save yourself some dollars on the best coffee in the game. I'm, yeah, I'm like, as everyone knows, I'm not a coffee fanatic like you guys. I ruin coffee, but I'm so mesmerized by these posts he's making. Yeah, man. The, the bottomless porter filter is on my list of things to get. I just haven't yet. Um, but it just, there's something about it just makes it look so much cooler. It looks so cool. Yeah. 
I love yeah, it. Especially because his will look way cooler than mine just because he knows what he's fucking doing with the camera and lighting and shit. Mine yes. will be like a dirty iPhone camera filming it and it won't look anywhere near as cool. But hey. With just the chaos of children and dogs and you in the background. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, buy some coffee. Be caffeinated. It's a better way to live. Absolutely. Um, seems like plenty of people are buying coffee using the code. So thank you to you people. Yes. Um, you've you've fueled this podcast for <laughs> quite Jesus. literally like five, almost five years. Being yeah. ages. Being ages. Yeah. All right. Is. What are we talking about? Uh, so <laughs> to lean further into you and I are using this podcast exclusively as a co-therapy session and less about uh, actually providing any value to anyone. Um, I was having a discussion the other day about uh, the development of one's character and personality, I guess. And in sort of having this discussion with my partner at the time, I was reflecting on the the fact that like... I've said for a few years that every year I get older, I, I seem to end up happier and a little bit more me than I was the year before. Uh, and I think, and you can obviously speak to this or, or perhaps against it, but uh, I think part of, or a, a very significant part of my personal development has been my career and, and my work environment, right? And I think what we do for a living is is fairly unique in the scheme of things, not just from a uh, I own my own business standpoint, but more from the type of business that it is because it's so fundamentally built on relationship building and, you know, nurturing and all of those kind of things. It leads leans into or, or leads itself, I guess, to uh, then being a big, part of your identity and developing that identity and for me in reflecting on this I, i've sort of realized that like the gym does its best when i'm happy being who i am and unashamedly so and and i think that and i you know i haven't spoken to many gym owners about this but uh, but i think it's probably something that's fairly universal across people that own gyms like ours mm-hmm. Uh, because so much of it is is building a community of people who want to be there and and who want to be a part of something. And you can only really do that, at least from my point of view, by being as close to authentically you as you can be. Because I think it's, it's you know, uh, I think, and, you know, we could touch on the liver king controversy if you want, um, because it's a similar thing, right? It, it, it's, you know, someone like that has created this persona that they broadcast to the world and for me hiding behind something like that would be incredibly hard mm-hmm. whereas w- what i've got now is a, a job that i get to do essentially just being who i am i don't have to put on an act or or you know mentally prepare myself for it i just turn up and do things the way i think i should do them and it kind of works out and mm. yeah i just kind of wanted to to talk to you about that and, and sort of get your opinion on on that process and how it's affected you as well or influenced you, I guess, over the years. Yeah, for sure. I think the liver king is a good place to start because that's what everyone's talking about at the moment. Um, Nothing like uh, jumping uh, on uh, some uh, controversy for the clicks. Should we just title this episode liver king controversy or something like that? Yeah, Sam will work his magic, I'm sure. Um, the liver king thing is interesting because like, uh, it would be curious to know the, the, you know, the behind the scenes, which is, 
does he not believe in any of it and he just does it for the clout? Um, because that would really be uh, dishonest. Like I almost understand the idea of him not wanting to put out there that he's on PEDs because he's trying to, you know, inspire people and and people without the education of knowing what PEDs do just have yeah. the media education, which is like PEDs bad. Drugs this guy's, are bad. This yeah. guy's a psycho. Um, so I, I I I understand and I genuinely believe that he does believe in his message and his products because he lives it. Like, I mean, could you really go yeah. around faking eating testicles nonstop? For the sake of of money, or w- would you bother doing that when there are easier ways to do it? Okay, I mean, you could do it absolutely, uh, but I think he genuinely does it. Like, I, I think he yeah. genuinely believes in the stuff that he's preaching. There's a lot of if you read about like how to make a cult. Um, there's a lot of stuff, uh, or um, in that in that uh, more plates, more dates video. There's a, there's an excerpt from someone else talking about like the um, attributes or the qualities of a of a charlatan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he ticks all of those boxes really beautifully. Yeah, and I mean you can you can really just replace charlatan with cult leader. Yes, um, and cult leaders amass an 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 enormous, very loyal following. So I agree with basically the narrative around like, will this hurt him? No. Will it probably help him a lot? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Because suddenly a whole bunch more people are clicking on his links and yeah. 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 I mean, like, because people are always going to always going to say, you know, like, oh, if he was really good, if he was really, you know, holding up integrity, he would have admitted it from the start. Once you've gone down that path, I I mean, you really can't just change it on your own volition. Well, well, you can, but um, there's an enormous cost to it. So, yeah, if anything, it's did you see the the whole like, uh, excuse me, I shouldn't have scaled that Pepsi. Um, Larry Larry Wheels sort of claiming that the whole thing was orchestrated, the whole thing yeah, was planned. Honestly, out. Like, that wouldn't surprise me, given the way, like the references that were in the more plates, more dates video to those emails. Like he outlined the plan of what he was going to do, like long before he did it, mm. in a way that makes the whole thing feel, at least from my perspective. And I I don't fucking follow that dude. I couldn't care less about it but it it certainly gives off the vibe of being a very premeditated well thought out plan done by someone who's not stupid you know i don't think you can get to that level being a complete idiot might Mm -hmm. be a bit delusional and and maybe you've got some uh some baggage i mean you've certainly got some baggage to be taking that much gear and telling everyone you're not but uh it, it was clearly all thought out and and done deliberately and that then just, you know, leans into the thing that someone like Larry Wills has said, well, yeah, he probably did it deliberately. But hmm. I, I don't know, man. It's it's a weird one. But I think from my point of view, it's the it's the inauthenticity that would that would hurt me the hardest, you know. And maybe it's because I don't believe in any of the bullshit he's talking about, like eating testicles and doing all that shit. But I feel like if you didn't and you were trying to sell something like that, it would be hard work. Mm. Whereas for me, like I, I genuinely believe in what I'm selling and, and so, so selling doesn't feel hard. So, you know, Mm -hmm. talking to people about it, it's not hard. It's just part of what I do. And I think that, that that's for me, at least why I'm incredibly grateful to be in the position I'm in and, and it it to have played such a pivotal role in my development. Mm. Uh, 
I get a kick out of because I'm so heavily invested at the moment with the with the expansion of zero. You know, my my favorite thing at the moment is learning about sales marketing and and you know upskilling the team and um, yeah. understanding that whole wor- world in terms of the principles and science behind how marketing works. And I really enjoy when I'm a sucker for it. Like I really enjoy yeah, sitting yeah. here right now and thinking, okay, well, the Liver King got exposed. I don't really give time to one hour long YouTube videos talking about this sort of shit. I would, yeah, I, I would see it. that. And yeah. I, I gave time over several days to watch the entire thing yeah, and yeah. To, to pay attention, not just to have it in the background, but to yeah, watch yeah. the entire thing. I've been on the guy's page multiple times in the last couple of weeks. Like yeah. I've watched all his stories. I've looked at heaps of his posts. I've scrolled back and t- like, it has worked to a T on me. Yeah, and yeah. I, I know this stuff, you know? I, so, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting to step away from that. Anyway, um, I'm happy to get off the topic if you are, unless you got anything to add. <laughs> I've just lost. I just, I, I just lost the last part of that sentence. You got all uh, choppy, but no, I look. I agree, and I enjoy too the um, the like reading an ad and then finding myself on the checkout page and be like, motherfucker, like. <laughs> I should know better than this. And they fucking got me on that. Like, shit. <laughs> but uh, I too find that aspect of it really enjoyable. But again, like from my point of view, because for a long time I've, I felt the idea of like marketing was gross. Like a lot of people who get into this space, like it, it feels slimy. It like because it's, at least in most cases, when you're a, a new coach or a new business owner in this area, you get sold to by people who are like business coaches, which are not business coaches. They're just failed gym owners or failed PTs mm. who lent into learning about lead generation because it's not really business coaching. In almost all aspects, it's just about getting better, lead, getting more leads, not even better leads, but more leads. And then beyond that, it, it's on you, right? Like, the you know, the business coaching I've done with these sort of people, it's always been focused on how do we get more leads and never on how do we develop your product? How do we develop your systems? How do we actually build a business? And for me, that process has been way more eye-opening because it's actually been about, okay, well, what do I want to sell and what do I believe in? And how do I think that can then influence people's lives and making them better and, and all of that sort of stuff. And then that makes the understanding of marketing so to speak way easier because now it's it's far less about me trying to sell a product it's about me having a discussion with someone about what it is they want to get out of whatever it is they're committing to Mm. and how can i help them along that way Mm. you know absolutely um i I do want to bring it back down to the um back around to the to the core of this conversation which is what you sort of started with around um you know that that personality driven side of things it's it's so interesting. I think it's it's also representative of where you and I are at in our stage of life in terms of, you know, uh, it's really interesting to be living through this because you hear people say, oh, I didn't really know who I was until I was like early 30s or whatever. And you're yeah. like, oh, whatever, who cares? Well, you don't become an adult. You don't start thinking until your late 20s, whatever. You know, get me and you, 28 versus now, completely different people because we, and it, I completely echo what you say. Each year I feel more me and more me gets then distributed through yep. these channels. You know, for me, it's multiple gyms for you. It's your gym and your culture, your community. Um, it's really interesting how, uh, you know, a lot of businesses in our space, if we look at knee strength training gyms, 
shouldn't hold up as businesses because they don't offer great customer support. They don't offer a great business. They don't offer great service. They don't have systems. They don't have structure. They literally survive on culture and community. Man, like up until I reckon two years ago, that was me. Like barely knew what I was doing, was constantly behind the eight ball and never quite getting there. People still kept paying because they liked being a part of what it is that I'd created. And like- I didn't see that for a while. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like I I struggled to see actually just how fucking cool that is as a feeling, you know, to walk away from like we had a 50-something person novels comp yesterday. We had like 13 or 14 lifters uh, from Burley competing, a bunch of them in their first comps. Uh, and at our novels comps, I started uh, – grouping people from the same gym into flights rather than doing it based on weight lifted or anything like that because it's just a much more fun experience that is super cool super especially because we have um we have a a few gyms in canberra like house of reps with liz craven and there's a few others that often bring like a big group of people and so it's just way cooler for all of those people to be in a group together so we had almost a whole flight of burly lifters which was fucking sick uh and to walk away and like I sat in the driveway with my car running, typing an Instagram post yesterday about like how how much it means to me to be able to have spent 12 hours at work yesterday and had so many people who were so overwhelmingly grateful for all the experience that they'd had in something that like I stopped seeing it as this big overwhelming thing a long time ago because it just it's work, right? Like running a powerlifting comp is just another day at work for me. And it's a fucking fun day and it's like mm. more fun than the average day. But it's still it is just a work day. And yeah. I, I think it's really easy to to lose sight of how much the things that we've created mean to people mm-hmm. uh because you get stuck in in it rather than being able to see it from that bigger picture. Um but to then reflect back on like like I'm as close to the most organized I've ever been and having an actual ADHD diagnosis and a prescription definitely makes my life significantly. (laughs) Um, I am more organized now than I've ever been in my entire life. And I look at where I was four years ago, five years ago, man, like I was a chaotic mess and I am surprised I did not have a much higher turnover of people. And if I, I think, and I imagine you'll probably echo this statement as well, if it wasn't for me being a reasonably big personality who can create relationships with lots of people at the same time and foster an environment that then grows by itself, it wouldn't have worked. Like, no. I, I would have failed long ago. Mm-hmm. And I think we've both been witness to many gyms who tried to do what we are doing but didn't have whatever it is that is that X factor that I like, I don't know what to call it and I don't know how to measure it, but I know who has it and who doesn't um, because it's pretty obvious talking to people like relatively early in a piece about do like, do you have what it takes to develop a community? And some people really do. And some people don't, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we got a photo yesterday mm-hmm. of all the burly lifters and all like uh, volunteers and stuff on the platform and someone was like, Chero, you should lie in front. I actually very deliberately stood at the back of the photo. It took me ages to find you. Yeah, yeah. Sim was like, where are you? You're not even <laughs> yeah. You can just barely see your little face yeah. at the back. But I actually very deliberately did that because that wasn't about me. That was yeah. about everyone else. And and I think that has be- become more and more apparent since like lockdown and all of that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. where I think if anything, our community's gotten 
tighter and a, a better community for those things. But I think some people get into this thinking it's going to be about them when like, yeah, it is early on, but it very quickly becomes much more than that. And, you know, you're in a position now where it is so much more than that because you've got a whole team of coaches and gyms and all of that kind of stuff. But for me, it's, it's been basically just me for a long time. But long ago, I realized it was way bigger than just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, yeah, it, it's it's interesting to reflect back on on how much that's changed over the years. Sure. And there, there are so many layers to it as well. It's like, you know, you, I, I would say that you and I have survived because both of us got into the gym game very green. Both of us just figured it out as we went along. And we really didn't figure it out until just recently. And we're still figuring it I'm out. I'm still not convinced that I have figured it out. But yeah. I'm, but, I'm getting closer. But like, you know, the, the big, uh, I think... It's a this this um, eventual realization of like, okay, I've got this community here. I've got me at the figurehead. The culture has been defined in part by who I am, and now it's carried through the gym, and it gets represented in other people, and other people can lead within the community. Um, but now, how do I then hone in on understanding the the real cogs of the engine of business and leaning into that a little bit more? Like that that self awareness of this gym is has survived by culture. And so that is an extremely important part of continuing the the business, but in terms of ongoing growth or just even ongoing maintenance to make sure that things don't fall apart, there has to be more to it. A lot of people don't realize that and then they fall off the face of the earth. Mm. Um, like you said, some people have that ability to, to drive culture and community. Some people don't, and maybe they survive because they have the business acumen at the start, but they never develop a good culture. Yeah. Um, I'd say the most common uh, reason that gyms like ours, you know, niche gyms that started in the dark ages that stick around and then eventually just wane and disappear is because at some point there's not a trade-off for the person at the head to continue to remain the head. Like they, they mm. start to disappear. And as soon it's, it's just suicide to the culture. As soon as that leader or that figurehead disappears or pulls back, the culture starts to die. I used to get micro glimpses of this when it was just me and I'd go away for a competition for four weeks. You know, I'd, I'd get a downturn of members. I'd maybe lose a whole bunch of members. Or I'd see videos and photos of the gym and no one was there. Or I'd get back and people would report no one was showing up, you know? It's like, yeah. I, I can't have this thing surviving on my presence because I, as I continued to grow and develop as, as a coach and um, within my business, I knew that I couldn't be there 24-7. Like you yeah. and I have built these things by putting in a shitload of hours nonstop, relentlessly, without days off for years and years and years and years. Um, and now, you know, Zero is very different because I've I've managed to instill that culture, that leadership in other people and, and picked my staff specifically based on yes. their ability to demonstrate those qualities. Um, and you yourself, I mean, like your your ability to be able to, you know, connect people and have people in your community step up as leaders is incredible. You know, like it's that my favorite story that you tell, and I know we mention every second podcast is just that time you got sick and the, the comp just ran, you know, that yeah. is the prime example of the power of this whole idea of community and culture. And it, it is the, the bare bones of our businesses or how a lot of them get started. And if we can lean into that and understand it, we can really maximize it. Yeah. And I think for me, it was, and again, like reflecting on it's really interesting, right? I, I think being in this sort of business and especially in the training space, uh, 
lends itself to developing a fairly good understanding, like a fairly solid level of self-awareness, right? Uh, I don't know. It, it seems odd to say it, but I feel like I'm probably a little bit more self-aware than the average person because I've spent heaps and heaps and heaps of fucking time thinking about it. Because when mm-hmm. you're the only person in the business, everything hinges on you. <laughs> so, like, if something goes wrong, it was my fault. And if mm-hmm. something goes right, it was probably also my fault. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I've made a lot of fucking mistakes. <laughs> like, there'd be hundreds of thousands of dollars of lost income through various inabilities to do things and be organized and not knowing any better and those sort of things. And it's looking back on that and working out what's wrong or what went wrong and how can I fix it? And I think that from me, from my point of view, at least has been developed through the training process, right? Like I had this conversation just this morning, uh, like failure is always going to be a better teacher than success if you let it. Right. And I I think the problem is a lot of people see failure as this really detrimental thing and get all caught up in the emotion of it. The emotions I get caught up in are frustration. Like, damn it, you know you could have done better there. And how could you have done better? And what will you do next time to be better because of that? And when it comes to, you know, the the community aspect of it, I've spent a lot of time in big but tight-knit communities, right? I like played rugby for a club that was just generally shit at rugby and so was built exclusively on the community of people, right? Like the first year I played first grade rugby in Canberra, we lost every single game. Not like, oh, we just lost that one. Like, are we going to get beaten by 50 points this week or 100 points this week? And it was from a like winning-losing experience, miserable. But the thing that kept the club together and kept everyone turning up to training and, and working hard was that we all just liked hanging out and and trying to be better at playing footy. Mm-hmm. And I think that then instilled my understanding of what a good community is, right? I, I don't I don't think I recognized it at the time, but I think I have been fortunate to have been a part of some very good communities like that, which meant coming into this thing, I knew a lot about what I didn't want. Uh, I don't necessarily know that I knew a lot about what I wanted or how to get what I wanted, but I knew a lot about what I didn't want. And mm-hmm. for me, there was this, this a really distinct series of moments over the first couple of years of me running ptc and then and then owning burley um but i had a series of conversations with my girlfriend around uh, like oh, i had a, a you know meeting with this potential new member and like a bit odd and like you know just kind of the wrong vibe and i probably won't pursue it and she's getting quite upset about it and mm. was like you know you can't afford to do this like we're not making enough money for you to be in a position to say no to people. And I always stood by my guns. It was like, no, no, you can't pay me enough not to be mm-hmm. like that person, right? Yeah. And she just didn't understand it. And I think that was probably because she hasn't been a part of a, a small but tight-knit community like I have in various points of my life. And it wasn't until the first lockdown when we had almost all of our members continue to pay their membership. I had half a dozen people who'd canceled their memberships over the previous six months or so contact me and offer to continue paying a membership for nothing. Like they didn't Mm. want anything in return. They just wanted to support me financially. And it was through that. And I only know this because I heard her telling the story to someone else that she realized I was right all along. You know, Mm. like that was the pivotal moment in her brain that was like, Oh, 
if he had said yes to all these people that maybe weren't the right fit for that community, this wouldn't have eventuated in the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's those sort of things that like at the time I knew I was doing the right thing. I couldn't necessarily tell you why. And a lot of it was based on just, I don't want to work with that person. Mm. Um, but it's then looking back on moments like that and being like, oh yeah, that really was the right decision. And I'm really incredibly glad that I stuck to my guns in that context And I don't know that you can teach someone to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I I just did it instinctively. Uh, I didn't, no one ever said to me like, oh, don't say yes to everyone. Like that was just something I kind of figured out partly because, yeah, I didn't want to do it with certain people, but also partly because it seemed like the right thing to do to be somewhat protective of this community that I was trying to create. And -hmm. we still are, you know, but now we've got people who've been here for seven or eight years. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, very much not the norm in the gym space for sure. Like in the, in the general gym space, it's almost unheard of, but Mm -hmm. even in smaller gyms like this, having a, a, you know, a group of people who've been around for five plus years, isn't that common Mm. because these things have a lifespan and, and often people fall out of love with training for the sport or whatever it is, but it's, it's ultimately, it's the community of people that bring them back. Right. Because their training might change or or their circumstances might change, but the community's still there and it's still moving forward together as a group. And um and, and yeah, I think it's it's hard because I don't I don't know how you would teach it. Mm. You know, and I'm sure you've spent time thinking about this because through the coach development stuff and and things like that. But yeah, I think it's a really hard thing to teach. Yeah, I mean, like it, it it's just it's another quality of leadership and a lot of these qualities. I mean, I, w- I won't go as far as to say they're indefinable, uh, but the definitions that we may have for them are so unique because they're expressed so differently due to differences in general culture, due, due to differences in the personality, the general demographic, all of that stuff. And I think uh, what, what you're sort of really touching on is that innate ability to remove the individual from the community and recognize what the core of the community or the core values of the community are and say, Hey, you are going to infringe upon these. Uh, Mm. Therefore you shouldn't be here. Um, uh, The other skill that comes with that is like people who are desperate for money will see one, one minuscule addition to income and then extrapolate it and then find justification to take it. They'll be like, well, if this other, if this member is, you know, going to give me $20 a week, if I get 10 of those people, there's $200 a week extra. It's like, yeah, but there's not 10 of these people. There's one person in front of you and it's literally $20 a week. Are you willing to sacrifice the integrity of your community potentially for $20 a week? No way. Absolutely not. And um, yeah, it's just interesting what people do in those sort of times of, I guess, more desperation or, or lose sight. Or, and like you said, you, you know, you, you have been self-aware for a long time and that extends to self-awareness of your own community. Mm. For, for me, it's, it's probably a little bit different. I, I, I don't think I was that self-aware in the early days. Uh, what I've always been, um, I, I think initially my community and culture developed because of leadership in terms of, um, oh, sorry, because of another leadership quality, which is just leading from the front, doing, being, being yeah. the doer. Um, I, I was always there. I was always working. I was always training with people alongside people. And so it didn't require much, much, uh, fostering of community via language or connection. It was just that shared pain of, of being in the trenches with them. 
Um, and, and that wasn't enough. Like I, I look at the numbers. I've been looking at the numbers a lot over the last two weeks just with we did a 10-year recap podcast last week, which went for like two hours and a lot of Q&As on my Instagram where I've been digging up old numbers. In the first year of business, I only had 18 to 20 members. Like at year one, I only had 20 members. So it's not like I'd built a massive thing in in, in the early days. And that didn't yeah, really grow. You had a grow. very large training group. <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't really grow that much for, for the first four to five years. I, I think at year five, I might've had like 50 or 60 members. So it wasn't, it wasn't built on charisma as much as a good quality product and um you know the this innate ability to just do the thing uh, and people respected that so people followed it um i i don't think i really learned how to be a normal human being until uh, about that time you know and most of my life is just masking most of my life is looking at what's happening around me and then acting to fit in mm. um and the more I lean into that, the better I get at it. And I'm not saying I'm just a fraud. I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm a fake, you know, um, but Tom bro slash liver King 2.0. That's right. When you, when you, um, you know, uh, when you practice qualities that are unnatural for a while, they become natural. It's just yeah. habitual, you know? And so learning how to communicate with people, learning how to connect people, learning how to make people feel heard, empathizing with people, all of that is a learned skill for me. It's nothing that comes naturally. And it's something that took me a long time to uh, to learn and develop. And being aware of it as a deficit has now made it one of my greatest strengths. I'm extremely good with people now because I leaned into it so hard once I recognized how big of a weakness it was for me. Yeah. And so like this idea of de developing culture and community, I think a lot of the times we do brush over it as being something that you either have or you don't or something that is just organic. But just as you've sort of uh, you've sort of exemplified in in what you were talking about, just as I did just now, it, it's something that you have to be aware of and something that takes a lot of practice. And if you're not, you'll literally ruin your own community. You'll build mm. a community just by being that person, uh, and then you'll tear it apart by being unaware of the value that you have in front of you and just jeopardize it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing is like recognizing the value in it you know i i think back to the number of times where i've made what would probably be on paper poor decisions around money we've spent you know like spending money that maybe we can't afford to spend on a big members party or something like that where it's it's not about providing more equipment or things like that, which is the product itself. It's about contributing to this intangible aspect of the product, which is the community that sometimes you do by spending several hundred dollars on burgers and beers in a position where like, maybe I'm then going to have to like pay attention to when the money's coming in. So I know when to pay myself this week. And like no one at the gym ever knows that because no. I would, I would never tell anyone that because it's not about that. I'm not trying to be like, hey, look at me sacrificing this for you. This is just, that's the natural progression for me is to like go and do this thing and spend the money on it knowing that you can't put a price on, you know, the several hundred dollars worth of food and drink I'll spend at our Christmas party this weekend. You can't put a price on the connection that that group of people get to make standing around shooting the shit over burgers and beers. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's that, that's the thing that people talk about. Like, you know, the training's nice. The the thing, people enjoy the progress. They enjoy seeing all of that. 
But the thing most of our members talk about is the community of people. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm very deliberate about building that now. And I've uh, it's taken me years, like you said, to, to recognize the value in it. And now I'm super protective of it mm-hmm. uh, because I know, like, I value it not just from a business standpoint, but from a personal standpoint. Like the vast majority of my social interaction happens in this community mm-hmm. uh, because of the nature of what we do. I'm here all the time. I see these people four or five times a week in some cases. That's more than I see most of the people in my life beyond, beyond my partner and child. Mm-hmm. And so being in a position to be really protective of it, because you know, I've, I've always said to people, I run a very firm no dickheads policy because I've just been in too many gyms full of dickheads in my life. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, like you just can't pay me enough to be that person in the space that I am say I feel safe and comfortable in, that I'm I am trying to create as a safe and comfortable environment for other people. And traditionally, the people we get are people who are somewhat marginalized outside of, you know, in in a regular gym. And mm-hmm. so by being very deliberate about keeping things as safe and comfortable as they can be while also encouraging people to push outside their comfort zone and, and do those sort of things. Cause that's a key part of training hard for anything is you're going to be uncomfortable at some point. You're going to have to do something you're not prepared to do and all of that kind of stuff. But I, I recognize now just how important that is to people. And, and it's, you know, it's that idea of the third place where people mm. talk about you've got home and work and then you've got a third place. And for the vast majority of our members, that's what this place is. Um, and, and recognizing that as the person who's in charge makes it really obvious that that's something you need to invest time energy and and often money into developing continually and and like you said you it's really easy to ruin it it's really hard to build and it's really easy to ruin it Mm. um by just no longer being who you are or who the community sees you as and you know all of those little things that very quickly snowball into your business failing miserably because everyone hates you Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's especially hard, you know, uh, ruining yourself is, is just going to come from complete uh, unawareness of self. Mm. Um, it's especially hard where you've identified a problem within the community, a problem person, um, and your immediate response is like empathy to try and help this person reassimilate into the community, um, but they're just like leaving a trail of destruction in- uh, in their wake and it's like at what point it's, it's hard to know when to make the call of like i, I need to pull the pin on this yeah um it, it's it's tricky being like the arbiter of these communities or being the the gatekeeper of these communities sometimes there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure and a lot of uh you know felt guilt or felt uh emotion around everything that happens within it it's a it can be a lot to bear and that's just being like completely upfront with everyone it's it's yeah, not as easy as like you're good you're not good whatever no, uh, because because you you want to you know you uh, you want to foster uh, everyone in you want to foster everyone into the community and build the community and and uh, nurture the community and some people don't want to help themselves And uh, like, I'm incredibly fortunate that in the nine years, so two as PTC and now seven or so as, as Burley, um, I've never, uh, actually kicked anyone out. Uh, I've like never had the conversation with someone's like, Hey, this place is no longer for you. I'm going to cancel your membership. 
there's about a dozen or so people who wouldn't be welcome back if they asked. And a couple mm. of them I've told them that because they've asked. But I've never had to kick anyone out almost by accident in that our community has done a very good job over the years. And this is where the the community has developed well beyond me as an individual into its own self-sustaining entity. Mm. It filters people out, right? Like people self-select out of this community much quicker than I can get in there and kick them out mm-hmm. because they just very quickly, it, it becomes obvious that this is not the place for them. Mm. And for that, I like, again, I, I don't know how to teach you to do that. I, I think I've done it by accident. Um, <laughs> and I'm super glad that I have, but it's really cool to be in a position where, like, yeah, that, and I've come very close on a few occasions to like, oh, this person's like in my head on their last legs. And then nine times out of 10, that person's left mm. of their own volition, you know? And sometimes that person's turned around and, it, and it's improved and they've, become a, a better and more productive member of the community but largely they just end up leaving and i'm okay with that uh, i think becoming okay with and especially if you genuinely care about the community of people you're working with you have to be very good at having a conversation with someone and being like hey this actually isn't for you mm. um, and i've spent a lot of time talking people out of joining my gym mm. Right? Because I've, through having the conversation with them, recognized that either what we offer isn't actually what they need or what they want, or while what we offer might be what they want, they will not be a positive contri- contributing member to this community. You know? And I don't like I don't have expectations around, hey, you're a member of the gym, you have to turn up and help us at comps, because that would be just a cuntish thing to do. I ask people. And they more often than not say yes. But then there are some people who don't help at cops. And there's there's they're no less a member of the community mm. through that, right? Like that. And I think again, that's really important. But there are people who you when you've been doing this for long enough, have a conversation with, and you get 15 minutes into that conversation, you're like, mm, whatever it is that this person's putting off just isn't gonna work here. Mm. And sometimes it's as simple as just, you know being a bit lackluster in your selling and they decide they don't want to be a part of it. But sometimes it is like, hey, I hear you and I empathize with you. We're not the right fit for you. Here are some better options. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fucking hard to do, especially early in your business owning era uh, because you're saying no to money in the bank mm-hmm. on principle, on nothing more than principle. Uh, and I'm really stoked I did that a lot early on uh i don't know that i'd recommend it as a business strategy <laughs> um, because it, it it's financially tough but i wouldn't swap it for the world mm. i wouldn't swap any of those struggles for the world because i'm really stoked to be where i am and i only got here through all of that shit in the process for sure for sure i really want to keep talking but i gotta roll all right so this is, this is all you get, people. This is Peak Speak Therapy 2.0. We love you. Goodbye. Bye.